0: Greetings. In the name of Jesus, I would like to welcome each one that has come out this morning. And I hope the longing and the desire is to worship our awesome almighty God, the God of all comfort. The God of all comfort. Have you ever been through a situation in life that left you to wonder why God has allowed Certain things that happened to you in your life. While he allowed you to go through those valleys of discouragement. Why he allowed you to go through those hurts and those pains you may have suffered through this. Maybe sometimes these challenges in our lives are because of the poor choices we have made. But it is when we are facing trials and hard times it can often feel like God has forgotten or maybe deserted us. And we can we can feel lonely for when things don't seem to be working out like we had planned them to. And when our pathway does not take us directly to the destination we were expecting to go. It can be easy to become discouraged. And so often we can be tempted... To take our eyes off of Jesus, off our goal in our Christian walk of life. Sometimes we choose to look at those boisterous waters, those raging waves that so many times scares us and seems to be so powerful that they seem that they almost overcome us. But you know through it all, the Lord is with you. His hand remains a mighty hand. He remains mighty to save. He remains mighty to deliver. And he remains mighty to bring peace. And he remains mighty to give comfort. A comfort that this world and a peace that this world does not understand. We that have a surrendered life in Jesus, the mighty hand of the Lord is with you today. He calms those storms in our lives But as a Christian today, the reality is we walk through hard times. We do. And we experience pain in our walk of life from time to time again. We do experience that. But Jesus tells us to be of good cheer. For I have overcome the world. He is with us every step of the way. John 16, verse 33. It says in there... These things things have I spoken unto you that in my eye, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulations, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. We that are Christians, we have a greater power over this world, and he has and that is in Jesus, and he has overcome this world. Now think of a story. There was a young man whose wife had passed away leaving him with just a small son. Back home from the cemetery, they went to bed early because there was nothing else he could bear to do. As he lay there in the darkness, grief-stricken and heartbroken, the little boy broke the stillness from uh, from his little bed with a disturbing question. Daddy, where is mommy? The father got up and brought the little boy to bed with him but the child was still disturbed and restless. Occasionally asked the questions, "Why isn't she here?" And when is she going to come back?" Finally the little boy said, "Daddy, if your face turns towards me, I think I can go to sleep." And a little while, he was quiet. The father lay there in the darkness, and in the childlike faith, he prayed the prayer. "Oh God!" I don't see how I can survive this. The future looks so miserable, but if your face is turned towards me, somehow I know I can make it through. That's what the Messiah has come to teach us. That's God's face is always towards us. Nothing ever will be able to separate us from his love. Nothing. Romans 38-39 it says, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, these verses, as we read them, they bring us a better understanding the amazing God that we serve. These verses contain the best news you or I ever could ever hear. Nothing can separate us from God. Nothing. This is a solid rock upon which we build our lives on. It will keep us steady in ups and down times in our lives. It will reassure us when we are fearful. It will refresh us when we are weary. Nothing can separate us from God's love. So how can we be certain of God's love? when we're tempted to doubt it. In verse 39, the last phrase provides the answer for us. God's love is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. God showed his great love for us by sending his son to die for us while we were yet sinners. If you ever feel the doubt of of God's love towards you, return to the cross and see what he has done for each one of us. There we see the love of God poured out for all who believe in him. When we see the great love he has for us, we can be empowered to live boldly, sharing the love to others, sharing this wonderful love that God has for each one of us and knowing nothing will be able to separate us from this love. I invite you to turn to Isaiah 40, verses 12 to 31. Isaiah 40, verses 12 to 31. Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, and meted out heaven with the span, and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountain scales and the hills in a balance? Who hath directed the spirit of the Lord, or being his counselor, hath taught him? With whom took he counsel? And who instructed him, and taught him in the path of judgment, and taught him knowledge, and showed to him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are a drop of a bucket, and are counted as a small dust of balance. Behold, he taketh up the isle as a very little thing. And Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor the beast thereof sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations before him are as nothing, and they are counted to him less than nothing, and vanity." To whom then will you be you like in God? Or what likeness will you compare unto him? The workman melteth a graven image, and the goldsmith spreadeth it over with gold, and casteth silver chains. He that is so impoverished that he hath no oblation chooses a tree that will not rot. He seeketh unto him a cunning workman to prepare a graven, graven image that shall not be moved. Have you not known... Have you not heard? Hath it not been told from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers, that stretched out the heavens as a curtain, and spreadeth them out as tents to dwell in. That bringeth the princes to nothing, he maketh the judges of the earth as vanity. Yea, they shall not be planted. Yea, they shall not be sown. Yea, they shall... Yea, their stocks shall not take root in the earth, and he shall also blow upon them, and they shall wither, and the whirlwind shall take them away as a stubble. To whom then will you liken me, or shall I be equal? said the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high, and behold, who hath created these things that bringeth out their host by a number. He calleth them all by names, by the greatness of his might, for that he is strong in power. Not one faileth. Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speaketh, O Israel? My way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God. Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no, no might he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. If we think about this God, how immense and massive is our God? What type of measuring cup would it take to calculate the amount of water in the Atlantic Ocean? You know, the hollow of his hands is sufficient as a measuring cup for instrument for God. That is sufficient. It is said the oceans of the world contains more than 340 quintillion gallons of water. Yet God holds them in the hollow of his hands. The earth weighs six sextillion metric tons. Yet God says it is but dust on the scales. Get your tape measure. Try to measure heaven. Scientists can never find the ends. They search farther and they search farther. The heavens seem to be keep on stretching farther than man can tell. But God has no problem making that calculation. He alone knows the end from the beginning. God is the master designer. He's the one who created the heavens and he's the one that created the earth. The known universe, they say, stretches more than 30 billion light-years, 200 sextillion miles, but God measures it by the width of his hands. No, scientists, they claim that there are at least 100 billion galaxies, and each galaxy is made up of about 100 billion stars. That's very mind-boggling. But his eye reminds us that God calls every star by name. Behold our God. What type of earthly kingdom or king or God can stand up to such a God? And why do we fear men when we should only fear God? Our mind should be in all this morning we should be thinking the greatness and the grandeur of our everlasting God. It is estimated that the earth is weighed six sextillion metric tons. Yet God says it's but dust on the scales. God calculated that dust of the earth by the measures and weighed the mountains in a balance and the hills in a pair of scales. So what type of balance and measures... Scale is God using here. Remember God's promise to Abraham. I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and the sands which are on the seashore. And yet God assures us he knows and he cares for us individually. At the sheep of his flock. Even the hairs on our heads are numbered. And I know it's easier for some to be numbered than others. If God can hold the waters in the hollow of his hand and he considers the weight of the earth as but dust, he measures the universe with the span of his hand and he calls each star by name. And he cares for us individually as the sheep in his flock. And he knows even the hairs on our heads, surely this God can handle the problems and the struggles we face in life. Surely. Surely. No, we live, when we look at it that way, we live in a God-centered universe. God has it in his hands. And so many times you could think we live in a man-centered universe where the Trinity is a me, myself, and I. But we live in a God-centered universe because God has created everything. And only God can hold hold up and bear the weight of everything in this world. Because he holds it in his hands. God is all powerful. No thing and no one can ever match the power of our Almighty God. Verse 15 says that the nations are like a drop in a bucket or a dust on the scales to the Lord, they are totally not important in God's presence. We can see in verse 16, it tells us in there, it says about the city of Lebanon, is not sufficient to burn, it says. As we look at Lebanon, Lebanon was known and famous for its cedar forests. But you could cut down all the trees in Lebanon and, cut, and, and uh, all the animals of the earth. You could kill all the animals of the earth. Take them all down and all the trees and it still would not be good enough for a burnt offering to God. How much less is our worship if all the trees and animals are not worthy to God? Solomon understood the massive power of God when he completed the temple, declaring the highest heavens cannot contain God. The temple certainly could not house the Lord. The nations are nothing before the Lord. Who do the nations of people think they are before the presence of Almighty God? Any opposition to God is as nothing. It is like an ant trying to stop a human. It's not very possible. Verse 18, it says, to whom then will you liken to God? or what likeness will you compare unto him? You know, there's no comparison to God. He is completely unique. God cannot be explained because there's nothing like him. He certainly cannot be compared to an idol because there is no image that can represent God. There is one re- this is one reason I believe the white Israel was commanded not to make images of God. Nothing could even represent him. Any image is an insult to the greatness of our God. You know, Father, idols... Are nothing and add nothing. God is everything and he does whatever he wills. We may think, we may tend to think of idols, was a sin? People worshipped in the past maybe. We were thinking that it's all in the past in the Bible times. We could think of the golden calf and the other images of God. Those things were in the Bible times and people bowed down and worshipped. And we don't deal with them today, maybe. So often we think we have we don't have the idols to worship. Maybe some of the reasons is because we do not know what an idol is this morning. We may think idolatry is only maybe bowing down. Since we do not do those things, we assume we do not have any idols. So what is our modern-day idols? Or maybe what is an idol this morning? An idol is, is defined as... It is, some, is when something becomes more important to us than God. And if we're honest, that list could probably get pretty long. If we look at the Bible, the Bible does not say anything positive about idol worship. The Old and New Testament condemns it. In Exodus 20, verse 3, it says, I shalt have no other gods before me. And then we can read in Colossians 3, verse 5, it's very vocal about idolatry. He reminds us of the danger of it. You know, and then we can see also many times in the Bible, time and time again, where people that, in the Bible, that people of God tended to drift away from him. Both the Old and the New Testament are full of warnings against us. So what are our idols today? I'm going to name just a few of them that could be. Maybe it's our identity. Who do we identify as? Do we identify as a child of God this morning? Today, it seems we can identify as to whatever we decide we want to be. Me, myself, and I. Whatever I decide I want to be is what I want to identify. Do we identify as a child of God? Maybe another one is our money and material things. Maybe it's our jobs. Maybe my focus is completely on my job and I get so carried away and I forget about serving the Lord or or doing the things for the church or uh, my home life, my family. We do need jobs. Maybe it's my physical appearance. Maybe it's how I look. I was concerned about my my looks. Maybe it's the phones, technology, smartphone addiction is increasing. It's increasingly becoming a worry trend. It's gone so out of hand that if we even are sitting down for just a few minutes, we can't help but reach into our pockets and pull out our phone. If you don't believe me, go in your phone settings on screen time. You can see how many hours a day you can spend looking at your phone. And how many times you pick it up. If our phones and technology aren't modern day idols, I don't know what it is. Anything that takes the place of God in our life, anything that becomes more important than him is an idol. I have four questions for us to ask ourselves, to help us identify an idol in our lives. Where do I spend my time? Where do I spend my money? Where do I get my joy? What is always on my mind? Actually, think about those questions. They will lead you to what is either either an idol or what you might be tempted to make an idol. Idol worship today might look different, but it still exists today. We shouldn't let anything or anything, even a good thing, take the place of God in our life. We must delight in the Lord because He's able to act. We, he is able to accomplish His purpose. He's able to do great things of His own mind and power. Nothing else can. Verse 21 in Isaiah. The act of God. Do you understand what God is about? This is the question in verse 21 that is answered in verses 22 and 26 in Isaiah. God is not of this world. He is above the earth. As as if the earth were a stool to him, the inhabitants are like grasshoppers, is what it says. You know, when you're in an airplane, and you look out the window, it's amazing how small everything can look. People, houses, just look like these little toys, matchboxes, cars. This is the idea with God. God looks at the earth. And the people on it, and they are like grasshoppers. The heavens of the sky are nothing more than like a curtain to the Lord. As such, God brings the leaders of the earth to nothing. The leaders are insignificant before the Lord, they are not everlasting like the Lord. The most powerful people in the world are nothing in the power of the Lord. There's no comparison. God is so massive. He is able to number the stars. And he's able to call them out by name. But his great power and strength, he maintains the stars of the sky. Can you speak and make a star come out? Can you speak and make the star be extinguished? There's no comparison to the Lord. Because of God, no one and no one star Is missing. Verse 28. It says. He's the everlasting God. As we think about the everlasting God. He is the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint. He also does not become weary. He gives power to the faint. And those who have no might. He gives them strength. In this world today. We may hear people say thus. My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is not noticed by my God. But my question is, how can anyone say that God does not know what I'm going through? How can anyone say that God is not aware what is happening to me? How can people say that God does not see our troubles? How can anyone think that we are being ignored by God? Do we believe that our God tires out? Do we believe that God is exhausted by his creation and no longer pays attention to us? Verse 28 says, Has thou not known, has thou not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. You know, God does see, and God does care about you. And what you are going through. It is a false thinking and believing that God does not see nor cares about you. The Lord is an everlasting God. We wear out. But you know God, he does not. God gives power to the fan. He gives strength to those who have no might. Even those who think they have power and the strength. Our bodies eventually get tired. They finally get worn out. And they get exhausted. God does not wear out, and that means he is always ready to do work. We stop working because we grow weary. God never grows weary. The Lord is the everlasting God, and it means that he is not bound by the time. We think it's such a short amount of time. We live for right now, but God does not have to do that because he is everlasting. God gives strength to the weak. Human strength is not the power we need. Human strength fails us. Human strength always becomes weak at some point. God does not get weak or weary. God gives us strength to carry on. Verse 31. Verse 31 contains, and here the beautiful promise, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like the eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. If we wait for the Lord and he will give you strength, you will soar on wings like eagles. You will run and be weary; be not weary or grow faint. When your strength and hope is found in the Lord, you will not grow weary. You do not lose heart or grow faint because you know God is the one that is with you. And God will do it. Psalm 73, verses 25 to 26, it says this. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon the earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh, my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So who can truly sustain us? What can we keep? When our bodies are placed silently in the grave at death. If God is the one who is everlasting and the one who lasts, then how can we displace him from anything else that does not last? Do we want to have a desire of our God like this? I hope it's our desire to want him to be supreme in our affections like this. There's no one who can be compared with God. No one can be to me what God is. Some people may think this, that only the weak need God. But the fact is that all of us are weak. Our flesh fails, our hearts fail. But when we find our strength in God, our weakness turns to strength i like to turn to 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 to 7. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 to 7. It says in there, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforteth, who comforteth us in all our tribulation." That we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble. By the comfort wherewith are we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the suffering of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation and our hope, of you is steadfast, knowing that you ye are partakers of the suffering, so shall you so shall you be also of the consolation. You know, our God is known for many things and many names. But one of the most amazing phrases I believe the Bible uses to describe this God, it's a God of all comfort. Paul tells us that God is the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. The meaning of comfort or comforter is to call to one side, speak to in a way to encourage or to teach, a defender. It's a helper, it's a strengthener and an advocate. You know, God comforts his children. He is the God of comfort. And we can know his peace even in the midst of the trials. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that when we are comfort those, so that way we can comfort those that are troubled with the comfort we also receive from God, we can comfort those around us. 2 Corinthians 1, 3-5. For just as we share abundantly in the suffering of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. You know, God comforts us in so many ways through the wonderful promises of his word, through the fellow believers, and of course through the Holy Spirit's indwelling. The Spirit is our comforter. And he is so much more. He's our counselor. He's our encourager and our helper. He is always present to bring comfort to the children of God. The Holy Spirit is called the Comforter. John 14, verse 26 says this, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatever I have said to you. God has sent us, his Holy Spirit to us as a Comforter. God knows all that we face in this world. And he knows we cannot possibly keep going by relying on ourselves and our own strength. The Holy Spirit's within us, and he empowers us to, to walk with God in a corrupt and in a dying world. When there's no, so much hate around us, it, it, it empowers us to love. He loves us. When there's so much neg- negativity around us, negativity around us, he encourages us to keep pressing on. When there are lies all around about us, he shows us the truth. When there's so much fighting and discord around us, he gives us a peace. The Holy Spirit is an abiding presence who will never wear out, leave, or forsake us. The closer we stay to God in prayer and in his word, the Bible, the more we'll experience his abiding presence. God comforts us in so many ways. And we can see that. We talked about it a little bit through the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. Before Jesus went to die on that cross, he spoke to his disciples and prepared them for a new way in which they would experience his comforting presence. And John 14, verses 16 to 18, it tells us in there. And he says, and I will pray the the father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Just as Jesus was present with the disciples, his presence is with each believer today. Through the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. To teach, to comfort, and to encourage the believer. He comforts us also through the Bible. We read in Psalms 119.50. It tells us in there, this is my comfort in my affliction that your word has revived me. In what ways does God's word revive the psalmist? If we continue to read in Psalms 119, arrogant people seem to mock him, but he continued to follow God's guidance and finding comfort in remembering God's word. He was memorizing the verses in the Bible and that helps us to walk in God's counsel. And it helps us to recall comforting verses when we're in difficult times. We can read one that's a very comforting is Psalms 23. He says, even though I walk through the valley of death, a shadow of death, valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thy for you are with me. He comforts us also through godly people. Although the Holy Spirit's comforting presence cannot be replaced. God sometimes intends for us to be comforted by the words or a presence of another person. In 2 Corinthians 7, verse 6, the Apostle Paul wrote about an, such an experience. He says, nevertheless, God, that comforteth those that are cast down, comforteth us by, thy, by the coming of Titus. God speaks to us and he wants to comfort us, sometimes in our daily interaction with other people. The kind words of a friend, the kind words you may share to somebody, or thoughtful wisdom from the word of God spoken by someone else, are often inspired by the Holy Spirit. Comforts come in many shapes and sizes. Don't miss the one that the Lord sends you. Instead, thank God for them and pray to be a source of God's comfort to others. He comforts us through prayer. Suffering and weakness are part of life. However, God promises his comfort and mercy when we approach him in prayer. Hebrews 4, verse 16, it says in there, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Whether you're experiencing something difficult or desperately need to hear from your heavenly Father. He wants you to approach Him in prayer and express those needs of your heart and to rest quietly and reverently in His presence. Romans 8, verse 26, it tells us, likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray, For as we ought, but the Spirit itself make his intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Paul used these words in 2 Corinthians. He said this, Blessed be the God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. It was the true comfort that Paul had received. And it was the true comfort that that moved Paul to praise God. He received this true comfort, and he knew, he now knew he could pass it on to the others. This morning, are you lacking to know who God is? Are you lacking in knowing the true comfort you can get through an almighty God? Perhaps you've been looking at all the wrong places. This comfort comes only from the God of all comfort. And we can only find it through Jesus Christ. Have you, ever, have you chose Jesus for your Lord and Savior of life today? Jesus is the one who gives us the peace and the comfort that you may be looking for. If you're struggling in your life to find this peace and comfort, do not put it off. Because God has sent his son Jesus so you could have a life eternal. Jesus paid the price. Jesus paid the penalty of your sins by surrendering his life on the cross for all who believe. This morning, I want to encourage each one here today to keep pressing on. To keep pressing on like our Sunday school lesson talked about. Because God is with us. He will sustain us. He will give us the strength when we need it. And he will help us in our difficult times. God has given us his word. God has given us his son, Jesus Christ. He has given us the Holy Spirit. He has given everything that we need to keep our eyes focused and desires focused on our heavenly home. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all mercies and the God of all comfort. Let's kneel as we pray. Our almighty Heavenly Father, we just thank you again for this day. You've given us to be able to come here to worship together with a group of believers as we worship you. We thank you for your greatness and your awesomeness, the power of Almighty God. Help us to stand faithful and uh, stand faithful and look to you for guidance in all that we do and say. That we can find uh, that you are the God of, of all comfort. That we can find that in our relationship with Jesus. We just pray to be with us as we go on our journey and our walk of life that as we face in life the troubles and trials and many things that come around about us, that we can stay focused on you and knowing that we can maybe put the blinders on to stay, keep our eyes heavenward, that those storms of life around us do not look so boisterous, but that we do not fear them. But we know that God who holds the future and that God who holds the beginnings and the ends, we thank you for your love, your care. Just be with those who have not accepted you this morning. We just pray that you can... Be with their hearts and help them to make that choice to accept you and find that comfort and the peace that they may be looking for in their lives. We just pray and we thank you for Jesus Christ who has gave us life. We thank you for that gift of that salvation. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.